You are now listening to the Life on Repeat podcast with Laura Valancourt, licensed mental health counselor, geriatric mental health specialist, and elder care coach. I'm so happy that you found us. You are just the perfect person to be on our podcast to talk about what it is like to be a long distance caregiver and also a daughter of somebody that has memory impairment. So welcome to the episode. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. And I love that you asked me to speak on your podcast because I think that there are a lot of long distance daughters that don't really have a voice in the dementia industry. And I feel like we really need to, and it helps us to be able to have a voice as well. <laughs> so Absolutely. thank you. You are so welcome. Maybe we could start and you, you could just share with our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do and what you have to offer. Sure. So I am the CEO and founder of Befriended Heart, and it is a for-purpose business where I help long-distance daughters navigate their parents' dementia. And so I come to this from a personal perspective as well as a professional perspective. And I think that when my dad was diagnosed, I found a lot of experts who came to give me tips from the professional perspective, but I was really missing that empathetic, down-to-earth, positive and practical advice that I really needed. And a lot of my friends, I was about 28 when my dad was diagnosed. So a lot of my friends had not even been in that situation. And I really just wanted someone to just sit next to me, hold my hand and help me through it. And so I thought to start this business soon after my dad was diagnosed with dementia several years ago. And it's so great now because my dad actually just passed away a couple months ago. And I feel like befriended heart is really continuing his legacy. And the idea behind befriended heart is to discover joy in dementia. And that doesn't mean that everything is great. That's absolutely not what I mean, because I've been through it and I know that there's a lot of devastation, there's a lot of suffering, and there's a lot of change that we hate, that we're uncomfortable with, that we've never, ever expected. But the reality is that it's dementia. There is no cure. There are a few treatments, but you can't stop the progression of dementia And there's a lot of controversy as far as if you can delay the progression of dementia. So that's the reality. And the question is, how can we make the best of this? And I found that soon after my dad passed and I was talking to some family members about their favorite memories of him, that that was his philosophy in life. And so I didn't realize (laughs) I had adopted that myself, but that just shows how important the values were that he sent that he passed on to me and that I am trying to share with the world with something that is so difficult for people to grasp as far as publicly <laughs> and also even in our social relationships it's hard for people to grasp because there's so much fear there and so we really need some help and guidance through that Absolutely. You know, what? one of the things that I just love about what you're doing is 
and you touched on this a little bit, is that there are there are so many professionals out there, uh, and they all have great experience and advice and guidance. And it's so hard for people that are in the midst of this, whether they are just learning about a diagnosis or they just have concerns or they're in the thick of it, you know, but to have somebody that they can be getting information from, from a perspective of personal, that's just so valuable. I'm a licensed mental health professional. And one of the things that we know is that by surrounding yourself or being in a community where others have gone through similar experiences, there's a level of healing, a level of support that just isn't met anywhere else. So wonderful. I just think that's great, Laura. Yeah. And I think too, that when even before the thick of it, and when you're worried about a diagnosis, one of the the problems, and this is something that I'm seeing kind of leads into the next question that there's so many resources, there's so many things that it gets so overwhelming, especially for the primary caregiver, or I call it the caregiving parent who is taking care of the forgetful parent. And it's so hard to just sort through like, oh my God, what do I even do first? <laughs> you know? Right. And so that's also something that I do as well. I try to do a step-by-step process. So it's a little bit easier to wrap our minds around and then feel accomplished after we finish each step. I love that. Again, when we look at the emotional hit of being faced with the possibility or the reality of a diagnosis, and then we're trying to navigate, you know, a family member is trying to navigate the medical, the financial, the making decisions about, uh, oh my gosh, everything from what to eat, you know, (laughs) what do I feed my loved one? Is there food that's going to help them to drawing in your resources? I mean, it can be just completely overwhelming. And one of the things that you had said earlier too, and I want, I want to talk more about this overwhelming piece of too much information. Yeah. One of the things that you said that just stuck with me, and I just want to highlight it because it was so beautiful. The piece that you learned from your dad and how you carried that over that piece of how can we make the best of the situation? Because I do believe that just as human beings, we just want to do the right thing. We just, we want to make the right decision. We want to do the right thing for ourselves and our loved ones and our families. And so the fact that your focus is on how can we make the best of this, knowing that it's not, it's not easy. It is tough. How do you talk to families about that piece? I think the empathy is just so essential. (laughs) And, you know, it's really important to tell them, I understand, I've been through it. And part of it too is that it's important to sit with those feelings and recognize that there can be joys in each day. There can be joys when you spend time with your forgetful parent or your caregiving parent. I think that. It's really difficult when your thoughts are racing towards the future where you're worried that your forgetful parent is going to pass away. And I remember when I would visit my parents, because I was definitely long distance, at least geographically. So I was about three and a half hours away from my parents driving. 
and I'm here in DC and they're, they were in Pennsylvania. And it was really difficult for me because I would visit my parents and I would notice that my dad suddenly had another loss that I wasn't, again, like it's completely unpredictable. It's like this terrible roller coaster that you're stuck on for however many years that dementia lasts. So it, you know, it was the downward force of the roller coaster at that point. And I remember he started losing his words. So fairly early in the diagnosis. And this is, it's unique for everybody, but this was sort of his first, one of his first symptoms. And I noticed that he would have trouble finishing a sentence, but he could come up with the beginning of the sentence. And so my focus was, oh my God, I can't believe he can't finish the sentence. He's going to, you know, and I was looking up things about dementia and lifespan and all that stuff. So I was really like living in the future. And then I visited, you know, maybe six months after that, or maybe a year after that, I can't remember exactly, because it it all ends up blending together. And I'm sure you guys understand (laughs) what I mean by that. But the next time he couldn't even, he could only come up with like a few words in the beginning of the sentence. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, Laura, if you had just lived in the moment when he wasn't able to finish his sentence and you were able to appreciate that he could still speak these words, you could have taken advantage of that time and been happy in that moment. But instead, you were focused on what was lost and not what he still had. And so that was a huge lesson for me. And that's what I try to talk to caregivers about, because I think it's, it's really difficult to appreciate what we have until we don't have it. And yeah. that's why I think it's super important. And I t- I'll talk about this a little later for taking care of myself, but mindfulness meditation helps a lot with this because it helps you get grounded again in the present moment and not let your thoughts carry you away to the future or back to the past with regrets. So that's a really long answer to your question, but that's... Oh, and, oh, and it's so valuable. I mean, really, one of the things that people experience uh, that you touched on is just that sense of overwhelm with too much information, and that t- puts you in your mind. And I'm really excited to talk to you about mindfulness, because what happens is it's partially a safety mechanism for us, a, a, a coping skill, if you will, to busy ourselves to just, if we're busy, then we're doing something, we're taking some action. And then often um, people just spin in circles. With that said, it is so important to educate ourselves and, and, and have folks have the information they need. And there's a fine balance, right, between distraction and overwhelm with information and, ta- and being able to take in information a way that is going to be the most helpful. And so let's jump into the mindfulness piece, because I think that really is key here. (laughs) Sure, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about that. And I'm really curious when and where and how you came to value this idea of mindfulness. Yeah, so I was first introduced to mindfulness meditation or just the idea of mindfulness in college through a, it was sort of like a support group 
a set of people that were, were all college students and we were trying to manage the stress of, you know, college relationships, uh, like romantic relationships and all the work and all of that. So that was my first introduction. And I thought it was such a different way. I think when we, when we all think about meditation, the stereotype is we say, um, and we close our eyes <laughs> and we like, you know, touch our, our thumb to our There's middle finger. And and mantras, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there are so many other ways that you can calm your mind. And so that was the first time I was introduced to it. And I sort of fell away from it, you know, as my life progressed and I ended up coming back. So I have a background in pretty like liberal Christianity. And I noticed that while, you know, I was praying for God to help my family and asking for support from people in my church, they also had not had much experience with dementia. And so they would try to be helpful, but didn't know how to help. And I found that there's a particular type of mindfulness meditation that really spoke to me. And it is by a monk named Thich Nhat Hanh. He is a Vietnamese monk. He's also a awesome political negotiator in, by way of compassion and calm. And so what most resonated with me about mindfulness meditation is this acceptance that there is so much suffering in life. And when I heard the word suffering, I never really felt like I was suffering until, <laughs> until I entered this dementia journey. I was like, you know what? Suffering really is the best word for what I'm experiencing. And I know that there are some professionals that say, oh, well, you don't want to say, you know, families that are suffering with dementia, but I do because I've been there and we were suffering. You know? And there's power, there's power in naming it too. Absolutely. There's, there's something that happens when we name, when we can put a name or a label on it that externalizes it so that then we can manipulate it. We can work with it then. We can understand Absolutely. it better. Yeah. Yeah. So like, and I'm sure you all feel this way too. I mean, it's not just sadness. It's not just frustration. It's not just being surprised by bad things. <laughs> I think suffering is like a really great name for all of that. And it, it also brings to mind the severity of what we're feeling too. And so I found that through mindfulness meditation, you are aware of the suffering that this is causing. And this is, while you're aware of it and you're recognizing these negative feelings or unpleasant feelings, there are also some positive feelings to life. There are also some positive feelings to your day. Even if it's something as small as, I wore my super comfortable shirt today and I was able to do that, you know, because I didn't right. have to go out of the house. So that's something that's important to me. Another thing too is that I think a lot of times in dementia, we feel so helpless, like we, we can't do anything. And so one thing that we can do that I mentioned a little bit earlier is that we can actually end up managing our thoughts. And I like to call meditation for me a mental vacation because it really does give your brain a break <laughs> from 
rushing all around, you know, as Laura said, it's also comes from the survival instinct of us trying to figure out like, okay, do we freeze or flee? So it's like, it comes from the survival aspect of our brains. It's like fight or flight. And through meditation, you're just silencing that part. And what we find in science is we can only 100% focus on one thing. I know that we do a lot of multitasking, but we're not focusing 100% on one thing when we do that. And so mindfulness meditation teaches you to really be present. You know, we have trillions of nerves in our body. And so we, we get in touch with what those nerves are feeling. So is it like our feet on the ground? Is it our breath? And by focusing 100% of our attention on that, our mind is not able to think about the future or the past. And it takes, that's why they call it a practice because it does take practice, just like practicing an instrument or practicing singing or voice lessons, but it will so, so pay off because I feel like this is the main thing that got me through my dad's diagnosis and, and through it, uh, you know, since he passed away. I mean, I'm still doing it. Yeah. I love that. And one of the things that I think really is a distinction between meditation and mindfulness, and especially for our caregivers, is meditation is a practice in which you really set aside time and you, and, and that's something that so many caregivers, as you know so well, people don't have time. They often do not have time to sit down for 20 minutes twice a day and breathe. And it would be wonderful if they did, and it would benefit so many. However, mindfulness and what you're speaking of is an opportunity for folks to tap into that meditative piece anytime throughout the day. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Like, as a a caregiver, really, whether you're at a distance or you're living with the person that that, um, has memory impairment, give us a couple examples of how you might incorporate mindfulness in the middle of a busy or chaotic day. Sure. So I think if you, it depends on what soothes you, I think. So for me, I like anything involved with water. (laughs) And so I know that when I am washing dishes or something, I will focus on the feel of the water. I will focus on the smoothness of the plates. It's very focused on your senses because as I mentioned, we have trillions of nerves. Our brain is constantly going. Our our thoughts are constantly racing that we're not paying attention to what we're feeling. And it's just, I mean, it's fascinating how (laughs) how many senses we can use for our environment and things like that. So you can basically, so focus on your nerves, but then be passive by just going by what you feel. Wow. And like, as far as your, the sensations. So like I said, you know, washing the dishes or I love that example. Yeah. lighting a candle and smelling it and just soaking in, feeling the candle with your hands, you know, the wax and how soft it is. And then lighting the can like feeling the wick and then lighting the candle and smelling it. And this sounds like such, you're like, of course I've lit a candle before. <laughs> but, <laughs> but have you? Have yeah. You really? <laughs> but, but this is really letting yourself fall into the full experience of living and how our human experience is so much more 
than worrying about the future or regretting the past. It's about how are we going to spend this day? How are we, these trillions of nerves, like, are we just going to waste them and then, you know, <laughs> have right. that, that life pass us by? Or are we going to appreciate the fact that we can still breathe that, you know, especially with right now, this is being taped during coronavirus. There are some people that it's difficult for them to take breaths and you're able yes. to walk. And it's really important that we remember what we do have, because it's very easy to remember what we're losing. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. And I'm also thinking about how beneficial it is to others when you are more grounded or present within yourself. So as a distant caregiver, yeah, talk a little bit about that. How is being mindful for a distant caregiver going to help the primary caregiver or the person that has memory impairment? Oh my gosh, Laura. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't really start seriously practicing mindfulness until about a year ago. And, you know, my dad passed away recently. So I wish, I so wish that I could have started this ideally, right? When our dementia journey began, because there are so many things that I said to my mom in my fear and my frustration that I wasn't able to help, that I wasn't mindfully saying those things. I was reacting versus responding And I think when we are in crisis mode, it's so easy to be reactive. And that's where so much of the hurt and the pain comes from, because there there is a certain level of suffering that comes when the dementia diagnosis is made. But then what is said or what is you know, done can actually make it even harder and cause more suffering. So I think it's really important that. I know for me, it was very helpful for me to have my own therapist. It was like super important for me to have my own therapist because I was able to basically vent to her about my experience and then talk with my mom about what her experience has been. And even that was still very difficult for me because I'm an only child and a lot of the responsibility in the beginning fell to me because my mom was not ready yet to deal with the diagnosis of dementia. And so I needed to take some steps ahead to feel like I could be helpful and like something was being done. And so I think we, we learned that if you've been watching, you know, dementia videos or listening to experts like Laura, that the way that we behave or that we speak like the tone of voice or our attitude is very our forgetful parent can reflect that (laughs) automatically. And it's the same with our caregiving parent. So our caregiving parent is pretty much going to be exhausted and, you know, at their wits end (laughs) when you visit. And so it's so important to really try to reflect individually before you visit. And I know I I actually did that very well, even without mindfulness is I really tried to be in touch with my feelings that I was feeling and validate them and say, okay, I'm feeling this way and I am going to act like I have it all together with my parents because they need someone to have it all together, you know? 
And so I think it helped me be more calm and be more positive. I think positivity is super important if you're coming to visit. I think a lot, speaking with a lot of caregiving parents, it seems like the long distance daughter or son can come and say, oh, well, you're doing this wrong. And I definitely did that. I admit it. I definitely did it because that was my way of thinking that I was helping. But I think that the mindfulness would help in helping you realize what your intention is before you actually have a conversation with your parents and also being resilient to something unpredicted that's going to (laughs) happen because it probably will. And, you know, it's, it's a journey, right? I mean, this is, I think the one thing I, I say over and over to the families I work with, but really to myself too, is just be gentle with yourself. We do not have all the answers. We're figuring this out. We're human. And so having that compassion, having that kindness towards ourselves is really important. And I just, I love this conversation, Laura, because you, you're on the other end, you know, so many people are at the beginning of this journey or in the middle of this journey and hearing your reflections about what was helpful and what you wish you would have done different and, and what you've learned. I mean, this is, this is valuable. And while every person is not the same and people are all going to go through this journey differently. The information that you share is an opportunity for people to reach, you know, try this or that, or maybe it's not the right time now, but revisit it later. I think it's just really, really important. I wanted to ask a question about what, if there was one thing or two things that you wish that all caregivers knew what, what would that be? And that, I might be putting you on the spot a little bit, I, <laughs> but what, what do you wish that all caregivers could know? Yeah. So I think when we left the uh, neuropsychologist's office and he told me that my dad had mild cognitive impairment and that it could be leaning towards frontal temporal dementia, I ended up looking up FTD on Google and it said, you know, what the life expectancy was. And I was immediately devastated. And I felt that I think a lot of society tells us that when you have a diagnosis of dementia, it's the end. It's the end of happiness. It's the end of your wonderful family life. It's the end of the future that you had pictured. You know, I was only in my late 20s. I hadn't even gotten married yet. I hadn't even had kids yet, you know? And so the thing is, it's not the end. And I know that primary caregivers know this because it can go on for very long. (laughs) But what I mean is that it's not the end to joy in your life and that it is instead the opportunity to find joy in a new relationship with your parents, a deeper relationship with your parents and with yourself. And in this process, it's important to remember what you can control. That is very helpful. Thank you very much, really. Yeah. And just to round it all back to what we can control this this tool, this gift of using mindfulness really just brings that 
brings that point home for sure. Absolutely. So it's controlling your thoughts, which then controls what you do and your actions and the consequences. So it, it all is connected. Um, and I think too, I know you were talking about Laura, how we want to be busy and there are some productive ways that we can be busy. So I think that long distance daughters were told a lot by, I, I found, I, you know, I did a lot of research on this before starting Befriended Heart. And I feel like a lot of healthcare resources tell long distance daughters or, you know, secondary caregivers is what we're known as to kind of stay out of it and leave the primary caregiver to do what they need to do. But you and I know now that the research shows that primary caregivers have too much of a burden. I mean, they're expected to do all of these things day to day. They're constantly overwhelmed. Oh, and by the way, find some time for self-care. That's your responsibility, right? Right. right. And that's just so unfair (laughs) and it's so unrealistic. So what I was thinking, and this was my experience too, where I was just like, you know what? I know that I felt super helpless as a long distance daughter and I wanted to help, but I didn't know how. And my mom didn't know what to tell me and none of the healthcare resources told them what to tell me. So I think there are things that we can do as long distance daughters and that there's actually, there can actually be a benefit to being long distance. I know emotionally it doesn't, it feels like you are not in you're not able to be close with your forgetful parent that you might be missing out on memories it, since you're not there. But because we are not there on a day-to-day basis, I would actually argue that it's easier for us to see changes or you know trends or things that we notice about our forgetful parent or our caregiving parent. And we are actually able to think about the future in a productive, practical way. So if you do get the mild cognitive impairment, this might be a good time to start talking about getting a financial advisor, getting an elder law attorney to start talking about the will, because I know that this can sound depressing (laughs) and there's definitely an aspect of it, which is depressing, but it's important to focus on this being the time that your forgetful parent can actually say what they want, right? Because if you think about my dad, one of the first things he lost was his words. And so we had to kind of like guess, okay, well, what would he want, you know, in the future? And we ended up doing that, you know, probably early on into his diagnosis. And we felt good about it because at least he signed it and he was understanding it, you know? And so I think as I mentioned before, is like taking advantage and finding the joy in this, you can provide your forgetful parent the joy of being able to say what they want in the future for their medical care. I love that. Yes. And I I just want to really emphasize what you're saying. The families that I've worked with over the years that have waited to either get their power of attorney documents finished or finish their advanced directives or living wills, the tremendous burden that families experience trying to make those decisions without the input of their loved one can be overwhelming. I've seen it. I've seen it over and over. And so as uncomfortable as it is, and you, you touched on that, it, it is uncomfortable and it doesn't take long. 
you know, just setting aside a little bit of time to get those wishes down and to be really clear about some things moving forward is going to bring an enormous amount of relief in the future when, if or when those decisions need to be made. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I do want to add too, you know, since my dad passed away, we thought we had gotten all of our ducks in a row, you know, as far as paperwork goes and things like that. But apparently we forgot to transfer my dad's title over to my mom. So it was only under his name. So my mom is still trying to get the title and it's been, you know, a headache because she's now moved to Virginia and she used to live in Pennsylvania. And then there's like bureaucracy of Pennsylvania and Virginia. And she's just like, this is just making my grief so much worse. And we are thinking, wow, we really wish that we remembered to transfer the title. (laughs) And luckily we did all of the other things, which is awesome. And that's why we're not in a like worse place emotionally right now, but just speaking to, to what Laura just mentioned, this is an example of something where you are kind of unwittingly extending the suffering of your parent passing away and of the dementia, right? So it does take a little bit of time up front, but it saves you a lot of suffering in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And be gentle with yourself, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask if there were, is there anything else that that you would like to share that you think would be important for long distance caregivers or daughters? Yeah. Yeah, So I do want to say, I know I'm talking a lot about suffering and I just want to say how I, how that's defined because I know I was talking to my mom about it and she's like, I'm not suffering. You know, everything's, you know, I'm just sad. So the idea of suffering with, with mindfulness meditation by Thich Nhat Hanh is suffering is anything that is anxiety, frustration, you know, anything that feels unpleasant to us. So, and then joy is anything that's, that's pleasant. And so the idea is you want to be present with all of those feelings because it ends up being even harder when we are trying to gloss over some of those negative feelings, because that's what society teaches us to do. And we don't embrace those feelings and listen to those feelings and comfort those feelings. And that's, I think, why therapy works really well, because we get that validation from our therapists. We can also do it for ourselves too. And so you can, what I do every morning is I, you know, do some mindfulness meditation and I say, Hey Laura, how are you feeling today? And I sort of, this is before the movie inside out came out (laughs) and I have, you know, little like feelings that sit around this like board table and you know, whatever comes up first. So it's like, you know, I feel annoyed today because my neighbor was deciding to hammer nails in the wall this morning and you know, that actually happened, you know? And then I say, after that, I say, okay, is there anything else that you're annoyed about? So then I'll let annoy like do their whole list. And then I say, all of the feelings around the table say like, we love you annoyed, you know? And then the next feeling talks, you know? So whatever is coming up and it's important for me, I noticed that Fear and anger, I tend not to give them a voice because society tells us that we need to shove it down, but that's what causes issues. And so I really make a point to say, like, am I feeling, am I feeling fear? You know, am I scared? Whatever word comes up for me at that point and really embracing it. So I think that's super important. I think that's a way that we can be gentle with ourselves. And also 
move productively into the day. And really, I've, I noticed that once I give those unpleasant feelings a voice, they don't come up later in the day and cause me to say something or do something hurtful. So, I, uh, have you heard the, the term, what you resist persists? Yes. So this is, yeah, this is a, such a great example that, that you're giving of uh, by suppressing and not honoring all parts of yourself, even the ugly parts that, or the parts that we're told are not good, <laughs> like the anger. The more we suppress them, the more power they really have to come out and affect us later. And so I just love your practice of setting aside time to honor all of those voices, to honor all of those feelings, to give space so that they don't have the power to overrule us later at the most opportune moments, usually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, you don't even know that it's coming up, but my husband yep. will tell me. <laughs> like, Did you do mindfulness today? Because, you know, and I was like, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think too, it's important, Laura, to mention that like, if you can just take a couple minutes away and breathe and just think about how you're feeling and say, I love you, whatever the feeling is, and breathe, you know, take a deep breath and then move forward in what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Because that's a way of grounding ourselves in the present moment. As I said before, you know, that's a way to ground ourselves in the present moment. So we're not thinking about the future or we're not, you know, stuck in our frustration and acting out in our frustration or our sadness. So one of my new mantras is we are not our emotions. I am not my feelings. And I think that as human beings, we often forget that. Feelings and emotions are so powerful. They drive our decision-making process. They, They drive our reaction process and sort of reminding us that we are the master of our thoughts and our feelings, not the other way around. And boy, what a paradigm shift. And absolutely, I'm by no means the master of that. Right, <laughs> I'm constantly reminding myself of that. Yeah, especially when we all feel like we're being controlled by dementia, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was so important for me to re, I guess, empower myself and in this situation. And that's what I what I really strive to do for long distance daughters experiencing this. And so I want to share the resource that you alluded to a little bit earlier. Yeah. So I have a PDF guide. It's called the ultimate guide to choosing the best professional care team. And it really talks about how to find and questions to ask when you are interviewing professionals like an elder law attorney, a financial advisor, even a geriatrician or, you know, a home care agency. So definitely check out that guide. It is free and would love it if you were able to use that because I know I used a similar process. It was not nearly as organized and pretty as what I created for you, (laughs) but I did, I based the guide on my personal experience in finding professionals for my parents and also my professional experience knowing what the industry best practices are and the benchmarks of excellent care. So if you can check that out, you Yeah, will- where can where can they people find that? I will also include a link, but Yeah, perfect. So my website is called joyindementia, 
com, and that's all one word. And actually, right when you put in the joyindementia.com, it will come up like the first screen that comes up is downloading that guide. Wonderful. Wonderful. What an amazing resource. I mean, to have somebody that has really gone through all of the work and, and, and hardship and the struggle of trying to find these appropriate resources and and it sounds like, and I haven't looked at it yet, but I'm going to when I get off, it sounds like what you've done is you've just really distilled it out into clear steps, which, boy, I mean, that's what our caregivers need is just- Tell me about it. I know. what I just, to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just needed positivity and practicality. And yep. so that's what I try to create. And I, I also it. made it very much a hands-on guide. So- I ask questions, you can write down the information. And it's really cool, I think, for long distance daughters because it's a packet that you can do for however much time you have, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, and you can write down what the results have been. And then when you go back to the packet, if it's like a week or two weeks later, you know where you left off. Love that. I love that. So it's not something you have to do, set aside time and do all at once. You've you've created it so that it's a working tool as as you move forward. That's great, Laura. Yay. Thank thank you. you. Yeah. So definitely, definitely sign up for it. And thank you so much, Laura, for having me on your podcast. It was really an honor to also get to know you better and chat with your audience too. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, um, We really look forward to talking with you in the future and hearing more about your program. Sounds great. So, all right, take care. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute, nor is it meant to convey professional, legal, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you can use such services, please seek them out from someone you trust.